I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome Hello. to the year and episode of The Movie Lovers, the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with The Week in Review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Have the main event right after that, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves. Our list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. As I mentioned before, this is our annual year in review episode. This one looking at 2021. Looking back, we will be talking about a few more movies from the year before our main event in which... We will be going through different categories and naming our picks for different categories about the year. Also reflecting a little bit about the year that was. And Film Phase will be talking about our 12 favorite movies of 2021. So we have a lot to get to. We've been looking forward to this. Let's knock this sucker out. Starting with the week in review. Shanna, you had a film you caught up with to talk about what was that film yeah i got to watch Titan by julia de Carnot, and it's so fun to say that name it reminds me of dominic de coco from inglorious bastards wow so good memory i'm having a lot of fun with that anyway this is uh starring vincent linden and agatha roussel i think i'm saying it right but if i'm wrong i apologize this is one of those difficult movies where you don't want to say anything about it. This is a great film. There is so much happening in here, and I'm so sad that I had to watch it by myself because now I have no one to talk about it with, as in you. I can't talk to you about it. Right. And you avoided this film because you saw in the trailer and you had heard that it was fairly you know, vicious and violent and unforgiving in that way. Yeah, not so much in the trailer because the trailer is very vague, but I had heard... I heard tell quite the gore. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't sure it was for me, so So our you know, my goal is to watch it with you and then tell you when to look away <laughs> so that we can talk about all the other stuff that happens in this film because it's not just about the violence. The performances are cool, the concept is cool, the story is awesome. There's so much to tease out here and I don't know where to go with all my thoughts and it's just really best if I don't say anything. It's one of those films where you don't want to look away, you don't want to multitask mm. because there is so much happening, especially in the first 15-20 minutes and it, it gets uncomfortable at certain times but it's so interesting and it I preferred this one over Raw. Raw, I had a hard time getting a clear interpretation based on my own experiences. And uh, even objectively speaking, I battled a bit with that one. Hmm. And it wasn't clear to me. But with Tatan, I'm like, boom, I got it. I know exactly what you're trying to have us think about. I know what you're trying to start. So I just really love what uh, Julia is creating. And I look forward to seeing more of her work. Must-see movie of the year? Oh, yeah, definitely. Wow. What do you give the film out of 10? Um, probably an 8. Wow. Okay. All right. So that is Titan. And where can people find it? You'll have to rent it. I rented it from Amazon Prime, but I think you can also rent from iTunes. Uh, or Apple TV, sorry. Apple TV or Amazon. Okay. 
So that was Titan by Julia DeConneau. Sounds like I might have missed out on something there. I'll, I'll report back if I catch up on it. I watched one film on my own, catching up from this year. I almost forgot about it. It's a documentary. We haven't seen very many documentaries from this year. I'm not sure that this was a, a big year for documentaries uh, compared to past years. But I saw this one film that has been talked about a lot. It's called Summer of Soul. Now, apparently in 1969, around the same time that there was Woodstock, everybody was talking about Woodstock in upstate New York, there was this film festival. It was like a Harlem, not, Har- not a film festival, there's this music festival in Harlem, in a, a small park in the, in the Harlem area, that was the Harlem Music Festival. It featured an all-black roster, and it, of course, attracted people all, all over that community. We're talking, like, Casey and the Sunshine Band. We're talking Glass Night and the Pips. We're talking one of the main guys from The Temptations. So many people especially of soul and gospel uh, background. And I thought this was an interesting film, partially because not only do you learn about this festival that, by the way, the, they shot the footage of it. They staged it for the footage. And then the footage was, like, never seen for decades oh, until wow. now, basically. Mm-hmm. And so you learn about the festival, but you also, this is also kind of a, a backdoor way to learn the stories of some of these acts that maybe didn't have a documentary or anything of their own, like the fifth dimension who had the song Aquarius and let the sunshine in. Right. Mm. You learn about them and you learn about how that song came about. You learn about glass night and the pips and you get perspective about how like, Oh yeah, you know, we were just starting out at this point, you know, and that sort of thing. And you learn, um, uh, about several others uh, i think it's the vandellas is it pops pops and the vandellas and eventually that turns into martha and the vandellas one of those one of those girl groups started out as pops and and it was more of a gospel focused group at the time and you even have like mahalia jackson singing too and they talk about mahalia jackson and how much she meant already at that point to several of these artists so it's a really cool, fascinating documentary, especially if you're an audiophile in any way. You definitely want to check this out. I think you'll find it very interesting. I think it's one of those quote-unquote forgotten pieces of music history. People talk about it, you know, it basically tries to position itself in the marketing as the black Woodstock, so to speak, because everybody talks about Woodstock and this thing got overshadowed completely and hardly anybody even knows that it existed, this Harlem Music Festival. So that is Summer of Soul, and you can find it on Hulu. I give the uh, film, the documentary, an 8 out of 10. Now, we have a handful of films to talk about that we saw in our weekend review. The first one is The Matrix Resurrections. Now, I feel like they missed out big time here on an opportunity with the title of the movie. Like, why isn't it called The Matrix Rebooted? We're in an era of franchises being rebooted. It's So it's very meta and tongue-in-cheek in that way. The Matrix literally reboots. They talk about it in the second and third movie of the original trilogy. 
So why isn't it called The Matrix Rebooted? <laughs> I guess that would have been fun. They even talk about that in the in this movie, it rebooting. So, okay, we won't go into any spoilers as normal, but Shanna, what did you think of The Matrix Resurrections? We watched Revolutions in prep for this. Are you glad you did that? Do you feel that is necessary to get anything out of this film? Was this film satisfactory? Yeah, it's definitely worth it to watch the third one and i'm not gonna tongue tie or twist myself into resurrections revelations resolutions or anything like that (laughs) so i'm just gonna go with numbers uh it was very important to watch number three because there was it's been a long enough time that i had i knew that in the third i knew how the third film ended Mm -hmm. and i remembered certain things that you forgot And so it was good that we went back and revisited it because there are a few things that are happening in four that you would need to be reminded of by rewatching number three. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do think it's important to rewatch. Yeah, I I barely remembered three when we watched it. It had been long enough. That was perfect timing for me to rewatch that because it was almost a new experience. There was a lot of vague memories of it. And I would say... That really helped inform this film because this film is, is, is definitely working within the fabric of what came before. And I went into this film with a lot of serious questions about mm. how certain things were possible. And I feel like this movie, I would say like maybe definitely one out of the three questions I had were satisfied there is a character that I'm not sure is necessary in this movie that comes back. And then there's another one where it's like you have to kind of stretch your credibility just a little bit to buy into. But was this a satisfying sequel? Was this one that we needed? What What, what are your thoughts? I, I don't think we necessarily needed it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the movie itself brings up how let's just go back and mine what worked. Mm. And Free Guy does that as well. So I think it's interesting that two films this year, you know, called that out, how creators are going back to what actually did well and like, well, let's, you know, bleed it dry with sequels. I think that that was, you know, if they push that a little more in the film, because they kind of just tickle at it. If they push that a little more, I think it would have been worth worth it Mm. but i know i don't really feel so much Mm. that we needed it i feel like this film has nuggets of interesting ideas about as particularly in the first third or so when it's dealing with Mm. the ideas of reboots and where we are with fiction as a culture right now i think there's a lot of interesting stuff it's touching on i don't think that carries through through the rest of the film i don't think that it really brings it home and is nearly as thought-provoking or fascinating as the original film Mm. i think even the themes of this film when you when you think about it further are a little fuzzy about what exactly it's trying to say particularly when you take into consideration the second half of the film Whereas with the original film, everything is crisp and clear and tightly written. And you could, I mean, I've been in college classes that analyze the Matrix, you know. So 
that's not the case here. Yeah, I remember our first film study film was Chariots of Fire, and that was boring because of who was teaching us. Sorry, oh, okay. but that's just the way it, it is. It wasn't just it the wasn't film. A, it wasn't a great teacher. Yeah. And I don't think that was his strong suit. And uh, when we got a different English teacher in high school, and she had us study the film The Matrix, and that was going to be our exam at the end of the year. That was our film study part. I was so excited and I just thought this was the most amazing film because there is so much to, you know, mine in it. In the original, but yeah. But this one, not so much. Yeah. I also don't think the, the action, a lot of people, uh, thankfully this movie even calls out, so many people take just the action and the visuals out of, away from the Matrix as what the point is. And yeah, that's the window dressing. And I don't think in this movie any of that is really that thrilling or really that exciting compared to what came before. Mm. Look, I think the second one is probably the worst of all of them. And I think this is probably second worst because the the second one was so much yammering and philosophizing and... I didn't think the visuals were that outstanding. I think that's the one that has the infamous Burly Brawl, which looks like a PS2 video game now. Okay. In this one, it's not that bad visually, but it's just not exciting visually. It has some good stuff in it, but not great. So, I, I don't know. I'm not excited about this. I wasn't excited about it in the first place. I give this film a 6 out of 10. I give it a 5. Very good. So those are our thoughts on The Matrix Resurrections. A little bit of a disappointment there. Next, we have Paul Thomas Anderson's newest film, much more anticipated on my end, Licorice Pizza. This is a film that is set in the 1970s in Los Angeles following two youths. One is a 15-year-old child actor, and the other is a 25-year-old who's basically going job to job. Like (laughs) you can't even like really succinctly describe what she is. She has no direction. Yeah. She can't find, even when she tries to get direction, it just doesn't seem to work out for her. Yeah. So she's like having a midlife crisis way before midlife. Played by Alana Haim of the trio band Haim. And I'll look it up here real quick, but the lead actor is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. I want to say his name is Cooper Hoffman, but I'll verify that. Shannon, why don't you share your thoughts of Licorice Pizza while I look that up? So my favorite PTA film is Magnolia because there's so much happening. There's interweaving happening. That seems to be a favorite thing for me. And I I guess I always base the rest of his films off of that one. You know, what is my favorite and how does it go from there? Subjectively speaking, I didn't like this film. It's not my favorite. And even though there's one or two interesting ideas here, that's about it for me. Objectively speaking, it's a fine film. There's references to certain things that are happening, but they're not like spoon feeding you. So that's pretty cool. Okay. The performances were great. It was a nice variety of cast members, you know, some faces that I didn't know, faces that I did. And I I thought it was okay. It was a bit of a whirlwind. And I, I guess that's fine. There's some really tense moments where the characters get into certain sticky situations and you're like, oh my God, is everyone going to you know, die or be hurt or whatever. And that's probably the most exciting part of the film for me. I like those sequences in particular. But other than that, I was, I was, you know, I'm fairly lukewarm about this film. How about you? 
You're a big fan of PTA. I uh, mm, I wouldn't Maybe say I wouldn't say that because I'm in the minority when it comes to the master and uh, the Phantom Thread. I didn't love those movies. You you definitely didn't like the master. I remember that. Yep. And I appreciate There Will Be Blood from 2007 more than love it. And I haven't seen Inherent Vice. I did like this movie more than you. I will say, yes, to confirm, it was Cooper Hoffman, who is the lead, son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I do feel like there's a lot of daughters and sons or family familial relations that are in this film. It's a very long cast. John C. Riley makes a blink-and-you'll-miss-it appearance. Maya Rudolph is in the film. You also have appearances by the rest of the Haim sisters and parents, Christine Ebersol, Skylar Gisondo from Booksmart, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, John Michael Higgins, probably the most cringeworthy appearance in the movie, mm. I would say, and also Sean Penn and more show up in this film look this movie is about a time about a place and as such i think that it's very effective in what it's doing there i think there this is a movie that has a lot of things to chew on character driven themes to chew on after the fact i have not been looking forward to a paul thomas anderson movie in a very long time seeing licorice pizza's trailer I actually was greatly anticipating this film and expected to have my mind blown and just absolutely fall in love with this film. That did not happen, but it is a very good film. It might be among the 20 best movies of the year. Do you think it'll get nominated for Oscars? I don't. No, I know that it is a distant second in the leaderboard so far as I've seen huh. to a movie that we'll talk about later, <laughs> I'm sure. I give the movie a 7 out of 10. I think I give it more credit than you, but uh, it didn't blow me away and just really surpass my expectations as the best movie of the year or anything like that like I expected. Shanna, what do you score the film? Oh, I give it a 6. Mm, okay. And then I was just notified of something rather serious. It turns out that Betty White just died. Well, shit. Yeah. I was like, oh. God damn it. Okay. I don't mean to put a damper on things, but I just got told by a friend that she just died. So I, I'm very sad to hear that. And I feel like it would be horrible if we didn't acknowledge her uh, work and presence that she's had on screen. It would be rude if we just kept going. Well, now that you've acknowledged it, yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, we've been watching a lot of Golden Girls episodes mm. and really, really been enjoying her on there. And we've watched comedy documentaries and specials that mention Betty White in there. And, you know, my love and appreciation's just grown and grown. She's like this beautiful icon that nobody wants anything to happen to. Um, I believe she had a special coming up. I don't know. Okay. But to celebrate her birthday with the world mm. was her idea. Okay. You know, I, what is your experience with Betty White? Honestly, I don't have much on-screen experience with her outside of the Golden Girls. I just know 
that because you know that was a show about senior citizens in the 80s in the er in the early through the late 80s and it's been remarkable that she's the last surviving cast member of that show she's been become a, a pop culture icon because in part of that how long she's lived uh, yeah, I remember in 2016 when people were dropping off like flies, people were like, quick, secure Betty White. Yes. You know, yeah. it was a big joke just five years ago about her. And I haven't I, I haven't seen any. I know she's been in several other shows like Hot in Cleveland. I have not seen any of those shows. Yeah, she's guest guest starred in lots of shows, even Bones. I, I don't think I've come across that episode yet, but apparently there's two in there. She's in Toy Story as Bitey White. So I don't know what character mm. that is, but I'm going to go find out. She's done a lot of stuff for Disney and there's several other things here. So she is the, she is Mrs. Claus for Prep and Landing. You know, I love her in that. I mean, how many credits are you even looking at here in her acting credits? There's like 121 credits. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of different roles. So uh, RIP Betty White. We will miss you and I'm sure there'll be... Uh, some mourning over the next couple days by the time you guys are listening to this episode. But the show must go on. The next movie we needed to talk about in our Week in Review was Being the Ricardos. Talk about TV icons. Yeah, we're just switching it up there. When's the Golden Girls one coming out? <laughs> so this is Aaron Sorkin's film about a week in the period of the second season, supposedly, of the I Love Lucy show about issues that Lucy, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz were dealing with during this week, including Lucy being claimed to be a part of the Communist Party. Now, Nicole Kidman, it is worth noting, plays Lucille Ball and Javier Bardem plays Desi Arnaz. Shannon, what did you think of being the Ricardos? You watched some episodes of I Love Lucy, which is not something that was familiar to you prior to coming over to America. Did you think that this film did anyone justice? Was it interesting? Was it engaging? What were your thoughts? So my exposure to Lucille Ball was just everyone else referencing I Love Lucy. So I knew there was this redhead character that was very popular, and I knew that she went, wah. So that's all I knew. And then we started watching a couple episodes in the last year, different times of this year. And I, I rather like the show. I think it's really amusing. I think it's funny. I think that she's very smart. I, we started watching the show because of we were doing comedy through the decades. Or, Did we? Really? I think it was because of that. Huh. I, the I CNN show about comedy. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you meant so like a project decades. we were Sorry. doing. Oh, okay. So the that's, history of comedy on CNN. Yeah. There we go. The history of comedy. And I've had a lot of fun with the show, but I don't know anything beyond that. Uh-huh. I know that I accidentally switched on one of her other shows and was kind of like, well, what the hell is this? <laughs> so turns out I really like I Love Lucy. So this film was fine. It didn't knock my socks off. It if you didn't know anything about Lucy and Desi, then this film kind of elaborates on that and it kind of touches on possibly being blacklisted or how we could say it now is cancelled. So that was interesting. And 
I liked how they focused on one week in particular. And within that one week, it wasn't just about the stress of the show. It was the stress of their marriage, the stress of, you know, uh, being pregnant. There's no spoilers here. It's her life. And, you know, other things between cast members. Uh And I liked how the other cast members were depicted. I liked uh, J.K. Simmons was great. And Mm. then there was Nina Arianda. And... I enjoyed the two of them. They had very little screen time, but when we did see them, I liked it. I think what I enjoyed most about this film was seeing how hard Lucille Ball worked on making the show good. Yes. To to kind of perfection level. Yes. And I appreciated seeing that, and I appreciated seeing how sometimes when you when you are a perfectionist, people will come up against you and say, it's fine, move on. And it's like, no, it's not. I know how it's meant to be. Let me do how it's meant how it's meant to be. Let me figure it out. Yes. And I really appreciated that, especially from a woman's perspective. I think we see it a lot from male depiction of that in films. And I liked, I, I think that was what I appreciated the most about this film. So the film also stars J.K. Simmons, Nina Arianda, so you, as you mentioned, Tony Hale, Aaliyah Shawkat, Linda Laven, Ronnie Cox, John Rubenstein, Clark Gregg, and Nelson Franklin. I believe round out most of the principal players in the film. And I agree with you. One of the most fascinating aspects of the film is how hard people and how serious people work to make a joke, to make physical comedy work, to work the rhythms out of comedy. And... I thought that was endlessly fascinating and interesting and so cool. My issues with the film largely have to do with casting. Going into it, Nicole Kidman and and Mm. Javier Bardem are not the first two people I think of when I think of potential people being cast as these historic TV icons. Look, they're, they're pros. They're veterans at this point. They do what they can with the material and sometimes it works sometimes nicole kinman's able to disappear as lucille ball but there's other times where either a the makeup is kind of atrocious or she just kind of comes out and i don't think her casting works a hundred percent of the time here Javier Bardem, man, if you look at pictures or if you watch Desi Arnaz and you watch Javier Bardem, you couldn't get two different people, you know, of Latin heritage. I think I agree with you there. I think they're just, they're too different. They're too different. I was literally hoping right before we started watching the movie, does Javier like raise the voice of his, like the pitch of his voice? Because like... He has a very low, sexy voice. And Desi... And it's fantastic. Yeah. Desi's more up here. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't. And as such, it's hard to get the spirit of mm. the people through these cast members. J.K. Simmons is perfect as William Frawley. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great as William Frawley. I get him as that. And Nina as Vivian gives a lot of um empathy or a lot of gives a lot get earns a lot of sympathy from from who she's playing so i think this isn't a knock out of the park film but it is very good and i give it a seven out of ten i give it a six. Oh wow okay so that is being the ricardos which is available on amazon prime lastly passing 
a film on Netflix that we had the time to check out. It is the directorial debut of Rebecca Hall, an actress that we both have appreciated in the past. It stars Tessa Thompson, Ruth Naga, Andre Holland, Bill Camp, and Alexander Skarsgård. Based on a novel from 1929, it's about two high school friends who are reunited whose renewed acquaintances ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities, basically based around this idea that some black people, particularly in metropolitan areas, were able to pass as white. What does that mean in terms of what privileges they earn? What does that mean for anyone who doesn't? And how do those two worlds collide? Sounds interesting, right, Shanna? Yeah, yeah, the trailer looked interesting. It's in black and white. It looks like good black and white. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in checking it out. And when we realized we had time to check it out, I was excited. And then I fell asleep. I was going to ask, and was it interesting? (laughs) I I had a hard time with this film. I, I don't know if I'll go back and revisit it. I don't know. I just had such a hard time connecting with this film. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I did wrong in life. <laughs> so I feel like this film plays everything so low-key that the drama becomes practically inert. There's so many interesting ideas and concepts in the premise. And I don't think, and I don't want it to be overly dramatic, but goddamn, have some diamondism in it, you know? It, it, it is one of the most boring films I have seen because it, it plays things so low-key. And, and everything is just um, muted in terms of emotions. I mean, like, if you thought No Man Land was low-key, wait till you see Passing, man. <laughs> and I found No Man Land riveting, comparatively. Mm. Uh, you know, and then there's something something that finally dramatic happens in the final five minutes, and you're like, oh my god, I missed the one interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, I was a little mad about that. <laughs> I was like, why? Um, so I might go back and just watch the last... 10 15 minutes but and then you'll have a power of the dog experience with me and you're like huh all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right um so what do you rate passing a four Mm -hmm. yeah i agree four out of ten passing on netflix those are our thoughts and that is the week in review now let's have some fun shanna let's get into the main event which is 2021 in review. So, Shanna, 2021, this is a year that was chock full of leftovers from 2020. So many movies that were supposed to come out last year in 2020 were bumped to this year because of the global pandemic. I think as a result, we ended up getting one of the best years in movie history because there are, as I look through the 60 films that I saw this year that were all theatrically released in some nature or at least was intended to be theatrically released and was moved to a streamer, I see 
a bounty of riches. I would say, I would probably say over 40 of those 60 films are good or really good films to great films. I think we're also getting good at not, I mean, you were kind of there already, but I'm certainly improving on not tolerating nonsense crap movies like if Mm. the trailer looks shit i'm not doing it Mm. if it looks good but i can see that the story is gonna be you know subpar i'm not even i'm not even looking at it so it was actually rather difficult to come up with you know we have different categories it was difficult to come up with what was the worst film because i'm not really watching a lot of those well there were a couple snuck in a couple snuck in i would say at least 10 snuck in oh wow okay you said you're you've watched six about 60 i've watched about 50 so no you you've actually there's only like two or three films that i've seen that uh you haven't plus you've seen Tatan, so that makes up hang on hang on let me see so i think i've seen 58 yeah more or less Yeah. yeah Yeah, so we're, yeah. we we watched almost every single film together this year. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I just like, I, I looked at my list. You know, I'm still constructing, hopefully it'll be posted soon, my best and worst of the year. And I, I thought that is a little bit of a challenge. I, I constructing my favorite list, we'll talk about later, was a little bit of a challenge too, because there's just so much. Yet when it comes to best of the year, Usually, by this time every year, there's a one to three films that that come out on top of everything else, and I'm actually surprised that that hasn't really been the case. There's been a bunch of really good movies, but no mm-hmm. like, oh man, that's one that's going to go down in history, or that's a great one, or or what have you. You know, they're all like on the same level as as far as i'm concerned in terms of how really good they are Hmm. so even though there's there's a this is a great year in film in many ways especially like blockbusters that sort of thing those popcorn films um not so much in terms of like oh this one's going to change movie history or anything like that did you have any other thoughts before we move on no, I think I'll wait to be reminded of, you know, top grossing films and, and things like that. I think that's the better way for me to go to be able to talk about this. Okay. I have several thoughts, but we'll wait. Let's get into that then. The, cool. The top 10 highest grossing movies of the year. I'm going to read through number 10 through 6. And Shannon, I'm going to have you guess based on that what the top five highest grossing movies of 2021 were. Okay. All right, Shannon, here we go. No peeking now. <laughs> Number 10 was Ghostbusters Afterlife. What? Why is it so low? At 121.5 million. Right after that, very closely behind it was, or ahead of it, was Free Guy at 121.6 million. Wow, that's pretty close. That's interesting. It is less than 100,000 uh, difference between the two. I find that very interesting. A Quiet Place is number eight at 160.2 million. No Time to Die is number seven at 160.7 million. Number six, Eternals at 
four million. So Shannon, what do you think made the top five? <laughs> I'm laughing because Jeff messed up, but he's obviously going to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> It's great for me because I forgot that that film existed. So, and what film was that? F nine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Can you guess the other four? So it's probably going to be Shang Chi. Does Shang Chi rank at uh, two or three? I'll tell you when you finish. Oh, okay. So definitely Shang Chi. Definitely Spider Man. Maybe Encanto. And any others? Oh, probably Suicide Squad, and I I want to say maybe um, Mortal Kombat, but I think that's because I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. Yeah, no, that... <laughs> it probably didn't make it. No, that happened early in the year, and that also had a day-and-date HBO Max release that greatly uh, affected it. So God, that's rude. Not, that wouldn't have come close. As a matter of fact, let me check here. I don't think a single day and date HBO Max release made it into the 10 highest grossing movies of the year. Gee, well, I hope that will be taken into consideration and Mm. people stop being greedy. Well, I do think they made a change. They are creating like a month or two window in between theater and HBO Max. They aren't doing day and date. So number five, as I mentioned before. Oh, I I did forget that maybe Dune made it. Well, you, now you've mentioned more than four movies. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I get to because, you know, F9 was a give, so. Uh-huh. La, yeah. la, 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 la. Like I said, F9 at $173 million with the number five highest growing, grossing movie of the movie of the year. Number four was Black Widow at $183.6 million. What? It made it? Despite being day and date on Disney Plus. I didn't think it was going to make it because of certain people's (laughs) opinions. Opinions, really. I I, I wonder what you're referring to. In the beginning, it kind of got trashed. And then it looks like it evened out when I recently looked on Fresh Tomatoes. Huh. Rotten Rotten Tomatoes. tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was a fresh one. All right. Number three, Venom. Let there be carnage. I'm sorry. What? $212.5 $212.5 million. Okay. And Kanto definitely so, didn't make it. quite a bit more than Black Widow. Okay. Shane Chi mm. is the second highest grossing film of the year. Good job, Shang Chi. $224.5 million. Mm. And number one, mm-hmm. the highest grossing movie of the year. Is Spider-Man. Even though it's only been out a few weeks. Is Spider Man No Way Home at $536.5 million? These are all domestic uh, numbers in case people are wondering, because I know globally it's reached like a billion and it's hitting records and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, and it's the highest grossing Sony film ever. Oh, they must be so happy. I hope they're all having champagne or whatever the hell is their thing chocolate fondue. Sure. And Venom being also number three this wow. year doesn't doesn't hurt either for them. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, creatively, I'm like, oh, this just <laughs> makes them want to do more of what they've been doing. I'm not sure about that. But so there you have it. The 10 highest grossing movies of the year. What observations did you want to make from that? Wow. Well, just from the top 10, obviously... 
Marvel is doing really well. I, I honestly thought that Black Widow wasn't going to make it, and I'm so excited that it did. There's four Marvel films in here. Yep. And they're, one. you know, they're in the top six. So that's really exciting. And then top two. So it's really freaking exciting for them. Uh, I'm fairly happy about that. I'm glad that I'm not a huge James Bond fan, but it's nice that it made it. It makes sense that F9 got in there because it has the established following. And it's nice that something original like Free Guy got in there. Yes. And then, you know, a sequel, Quiet Place, which is original. You know, it's original content. It's not like... Well, it's a sequel. It's a sequel, but it's original. Yeah. 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 And then... Two original things, one being a sequel. I I still see them as two original things, Free Guy and The Quiet Place. So that's great. Uh, What I am concerned about is everything else is some sort of, is coming from some sort of franchise. Right, Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not so worried about the Marvel stuff because that's just where we're at right now and that's probably going to be where we're at for, I don't know, all time, definitely a decade. And then uh, if I look beyond the top 10, I thought it was really great. We had a lot of good F-rated films that came out this year. Shadow in the Cloud, How It Ends, and, and, and all of that. We can talk about that later. But really good variety and representation there. And then it's nice that, you know, within the... I'm not moving away from the top 10, apparently. It's great that between the four Marvel films three of them can be seen as representation taking it up to the next level, especially with Eternals being so inclusive. Our friend phoned us and was in tears of happiness because she felt represented. Uh, And then we've got Shang-Chi, you know, finally bringing in the Asian market into the the hero franchise. So I have a lot of hope for that. And then I also noticed trends of – you know, in the beginning of the year, we had really big action films that weren't Marvel. We had Godzilla versus Khan. So it was kind of this wrap-up of that monsterverse. I mean, I think it's a wrap-up. There could be more later. I don't know. And then something, again, existing IP, Mortal Kombat, getting it right. You know, it was... So I'm in very excited ways, yeah. by about that. So it seems like if we look at... we're not going to call out all the movies, but if we take a step back and look at everything that came out this year, there is this good variety of existing IP stuff and then original content. Uh, Sure, I'd love more original stuff, but if they're doing the IP stuff correctly, there isn't really much to complain about, is there? I I will just say succinctly, and then we can move on. I think theaters are back. At least popcorn films are back. And I think this also suggests there's audience confidence. People are feeling more comfortable coming back to, to theaters. They are still choosy about what they're going to see. A, a film like West Side Story by Steven Spielberg, two icons melded together, ended up bombing. So they mm. are being very choosy about what they're going to see. And they're definitely going to see things that are escapist. Yeah. But... I think in some ways the theater going experience is coming back and, and starting to bounce back from 2020. Hmm. So I don't know if we mentioned this in our last episode, but when we came out of the theater after watching Spider-Man, we actually heard noise. We heard crowds of people echoing in the movie theater. It was the most beautiful sound we've heard in a really long time. 
I was so excited for the theater. So I'm looking forward to that experience not going away. Okay, so before the episode runs away from us, let's get into the rest of the main event. What we do is we we talk about different categories, kind of summing up the year. We, we have a variety of different categories, not just best and worst movies of the year, but also like categories like most over the best overlooked movie, the one that that hardly anybody ever saw that they should have seen. The movie that they didn't get, that that they didn't understand, that we find ourselves defending. The movie that I didn't get. The, uh, the movie that everybody's defending that I, I just don't quite see. And, and so on and so forth. So let's dive on into our picks for these categories, Jenna. I think we'll start with the biggest surprise. What was, What movie was the biggest surprise for you this year? You didn't really know what to expect necessarily, or you had lower expectations and it exceeded them. Yeah, so this was a very personal one for me. I'm not objective about this at all with this category. Uh, the biggest surprise for me was The Harder They Fall. Mm. It's a, I hate Westerns. Uh, there's only one maybe two Westerns that I enjoy and love and will watch every now and again. But this really blew my socks off. The cinematography, the music, the performances, the cast. Oh, my God. Um, And the story was just, it was all perfect. I loved it. I was very surprised that I loved a Western film. So that was my biggest surprise this year. How about you? Well, that was an excellent pick. And actually, it's one that I seriously considered because... I didn't really know what to go, what to expect going into it. You know, I thought it was going to be a fairly sincere <laughs> Western film. It, it wasn't. It was the most fun I had in a Western in quite some time. I this was a tough category because that was an option. I had two others. I think I'm going to give the edge to In the Heights. Oh, okay. Because sure, I didn't know. The Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. I never heard of it before. And this was only my second exposure to anything by Lynn Manuel Miranda. The first being Hamilton on Disney Plus, which I thought was fine. Um, his creation, his original content. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I know he didn't direct this, but this is based on his work. And I was like in the middle of the movie i knew this was going to be a favorite movie of mine of the year i i was i had such a good time with it i really loved the music and it 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 stuck with me for i don't know how long after i saw the film and i've been looking forward to watching it again i just got it for christmas so yay so that's my pick for the biggest surprise of 2021 shannon what was the biggest disappointment the movie that you had the highest hopes for highest expectations for and just did not meet those expectations. Yeah, I, it was between two films here for me, and I think I'm going to land on Space Jam and New Legacy. Mm. Oh, my God. Like, talk about IP just totally being disrespected and not being fully taken advantage of. This was a golden opportunity. It was not just about Looney Tunes. It was... So now the trend this year is the reboot trend. This is part of the reboot trend. Free Guy reboot talks about reboot and, and you know, Matrix 4. So there's three films talking about that. And they Space Jam could have, you know, they, they show you in the trailer that they're bringing in 
Game of Thrones. They're bringing in all their different things that belong to them. Warner. Warner yeah. Brothers. And it, it was just poorly executed. It, they did a piss poor job. I'm just so mad. The, the music was shit compared to the first Space Jam. I, like I did not feel like getting up and dancing at all. So it was just it was just a horrible, horrible disappointment to me. For me, my biggest disappointment of 2021 was, I think, Godzilla versus Kong. This was oh, really? going to be one of the biggest spectacles of mm. the year. It was one of the first like attempts to try to bring people out to the theater. Mm-hmm. Definitely a big screen experience. And I think, like, yeah, some of the spectacle was cool. Some of the set pieces were cool. But my God, that movie was dumb. And let's let's remember that 2014's Godzilla is not dumb. It's actually mm, it's smart. You could well, yeah, yeah. There's some strengths to the to the writing compared to Godzilla versus King Kong. And this is what the what the four movies I think it is have been building up to. And it's just like ah, uh, yeah. It was at best mediocre. I think it. it might squeak on to my picks for the be- the worst of the year. So high expectations for Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, expected to be totally thrilled and also, you know, not insulted in, <laughs> in terms of my intelligence. And um, it was just a disappointment for me. Mm-hmm. Shanna, let's look at the best overlooked movie. The movie that when you're looking at the grosses, this is the one that people should have seen that didn't. I think people should have paid more attention gross-wise to Belfast. I think that that was a really great film. It had so much heart. It was black and white done right. It, It was a wonderful story that at the end really acknowledges all parties that were involved in the chaos that was happening in that area at the time. And I just really wish that there was there was more there. I just wish that there was more attention given to that film. And I, I wish I heard more people talking about it, referencing it and things like that. Yeah. So that movie made only six point eight million dollars. And that is also my pick. For, oh, really? Yes. Opening weekend, one point seven million dollars. I don't know that it even made back its budget for sure. I don't have oh. that information readily available on on hand right now. I this is one of the best movies of the year. It made six point eight million, dom, uh, domestic and worldwide. I don't think and it op- worldwide. Yeah, I don't think oh, it opened that's really worldwide. Sad. I don't have its uh, budget in front of me right now. I mean, look, it's a modest black and white drama. I get it. But this thing should have made like $20 million, not $6.8 yeah. million. I just, I really hope that it gets noticed by the Oscars for something. I um hope that it, it gets new life on streaming or something. Yeah. It's one of those movies that people discover and has a better word of mouth through there. Because I haven't heard much talk about Belfast mm. and th- that movie was beautiful. And I, I was surprised. So yes, we're in agreement. Best overlooked cool. movie, Belfast. What is the most overrated movie of, <laughs> of 2020? I, I don't know if people are going to like me for this. This film 
it had everything going for it but the story was the execution of the story just you know fell flat for me and everything else about it was wonderful the actors were great the actress was amazing I want to see her in more stuff obviously the cinematography was great all of the other elements were awesome it's Gucci House, House of, of Gucci, Gucci. How- yeah that's how I feel you think that's that movie's overrated that's what I landed on. That's really surprising because I've heard a lot of people like, uh, what's the word? Milk, lukewarm, lukewarm to that movie and calling it camp. If I look stuff. at like the interviews and things that were done with the people uh, that represent the movie, interviewers seem really excited about it and all that. But I just, I don't like, I'm talking about that buzz. That buzz is definitely around it and I just feel like it's overrated fascinating i i don't like your reaction to it i find that an an interesting (laughs) interesting pick for sure my pick is a film that has been celebrated on films to ground it is an 89 percent on rotten tomatoes 85 percent on metacritic interestingly enough apparently users are lukewarm to this because 66 percent like the movie 6.6 out of 10 on imdb so maybe maybe audiences are with me on this one but my pick for overrated movie of the year is the green knight Oh, I, I guess that's a good choice. You liked that movie and appreciated it way more than me. You go back and listen to our, uh, episode 118, which, is it 118? No, it's further back. It's our A24 episode. Mm. We reviewed The Green Knight. Uh, you were very positive. I was lukewarm to it. I thought <laughs> there was some strains, especially cinematography. I'm a fan of David Lowry. Uh-huh. This is a contender for Disappointment of the Year because I was... Not really knowing what to expect, but also knowing David Lowry is awesome and have really liked his past couple movies. And I didn't think it quite worked and held up for me. So that's my pick for most overrated movie of 2021, The Green Knight. You will not see that in my top 10 of the year. I, I just, I'm going to push back a little. I I know it's your pick, but I feel like people can go back to this film and really like look at it more closely and talk a bit. I think you can talk a lot more about this than Gucci. You know, you're right about that. I will give you that. I'll push back a little. I will, I will, <laughs> I, and I know most people feel the same way about you in general about things to chew on. But um, yeah. I, yeah. But um, yeah. I said what I said. <laughs> All right, right, what's our next one? We're going to move on. Mm. What is the movie that you didn't get that everybody praised and loved? And you're like, really? This is like a three movie choice for me. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and land on White Tiger. I knew it. There we go. I knew it. There you go. All right, go ahead. Feel, Feel good about that. Go ahead. All right. There were interesting things happening, but at the end of it, I was just like, huh. Okay, I guess we're doing that. There's a lot of people that are very excited about it for different reasons. And it's like, okay, that's great. No, that's awesome. Obviously, if it's a representation thing and you feel represented, I'm very happy for you, obviously. But I just, I did not get this film. Uh, There's a lot of people that get it and praise it. And I'm like, oh God, no. So that's just how I feel. We are in lockstep. Oh, okay. That is my second choice. But my first choice is a film (laughs) that I did finish. It, <laughs> it is instead of overrated i went with um 
The Power of the Dog, which uh, as the movie I didn't get. Is it? Because I, I think... Because that was going to make my list. <laughs> okay. It was so painful for me that I couldn't finish it. All right. Well, and I do think it is overrated. I mean, I can't mm. believe... I mean, this thing is dozens of awards ahead of anything else oh, in the God. awards okay. leaderboard. And we talked about it in what? the, the Just the last episode or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. I don't get... I don't get the practical universal acclaim towards power of the dog i think it i don't think it's terrible i think it's good but i don't think it's great i don't even think it's really good i didn't find it riveting Mm. so i don't get all the love towards power of the dog that's my pick for 2021 what is the movie they didn't get i think it's eternals I think this movie got a lot of unnecessary hate and bashing and lack of understanding. And I would go as far to say the word empathy because Eternals, you know, you look at everything that Marvel has created. Think about how it started. It went Iron Man, what, then Thor or Captain America and then Thor. And then introduced it introduced all the main people that we know everything about. Okay. And... Now we're in, what, next phase? And it's time to introduce new shit. Kind of like, you know, back in the day, they introduced Guardians. Not a lot of people knew what Guardians were. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And now we have Eternals. So give it a beat. I, I don't know. I feel like this was not the worst film in the world. I, I feel like this was a decent Marvel movie. Was it as good as Spider-Man 3? No, but... It didn't deserve the hate that it got. Agree. And that's a very good candidate for this category. I 100% agree with you. I, I That thing, I think, got like 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very inexplicable as far as we're concerned. Not one of the best Marvel films. Not even the best Marvel film of the year. We'll talk about that in a minute as far as I'm concerned. But certainly not awful i mean people are talking about this as though it's like iron man 2 or something like that yeah i just i feel like it does not warrant being at the bottom of the mcu pile yeah and 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 to be clear i actually think that there's good things about iron man 2 it is just one of the worst of the mcu and i don't think eternals is that i had to do a rush decision here because i had a hard time with this category the movie they didn't get i feel like so many movies like i'm on the same level with with most most people on so while I agree with you, Eternals is a very good pick. I'm going with Mortal Kombat. <gasps> While that, that that they didn't get it. Well, what's wrong with people? So look, I think even the Green Knight is a better film than Mortal Kombat. I'm not going to make the argument that Mortal Kombat is one of the best movies of the year, but I think it's better than a lot of people. However, a lot of people responded to it. The biggest thing is, like, people are like, but there's no tournament. It's like, well, you know, there's no Darth Vader in The Phantom Menace, you know, it's and yet there's genera- a whole generation that loves that movie. You know, it's building up to mm. something. Yeah, it's, right? it's its first film, kind of like where Eternals is. It's its first of that kind. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, Mortal Kombat is, like, twice the movie Phantom Menace is. I'm just uh, yeah. saying, what is the movie doing you need to like judge it based on what it's doing, not what you expect it to be doing going into it. 
and it's building up to the tournament. They say that right up front. Mm. It's not like they tricked you to get your butt in the seat. And I thought this film did a lot of things well. Uh, There's a lot of... I mean, it's it's a very cool movie, especially particularly if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat. So there's a lot to like about the movie. It's my pick for the movie they didn't get. Mm. Okay, so a few more here. Shanna, what is... This is a different category. We don't do this these next two categories typically. But there's so many that came out this year. Mm. There's enough... Then it warranted discussion. First, Shanna, what is your pick for the best MCU movie, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie of 2021? We had four Black Widow, Shane Chi, and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, and Spider Man No Way Home. All which made it to the top 10 grossing. So that's exciting. I pick Spider Man who's never coming home. What, what is the title? No Way Home. No Way Home. <laughs> Honestly, it's all so confusing. Okay. Yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home, definitely my favorite. I, we can't Your say anything. The best? Uh, the best and the favorite. It could okay. be both. <laughs> uh, we can't say anything about this film at all. Our son is in the next room and uh, we don't want to spoil anything for him. Well, we don't want to spoil anything for you either. Even though the internet's doing a damn good job, it is my it's pick. So rude. Yeah, it is my pick as well for best MCU movie of the year. There's just so much. It is one of the best experiences in the theater I had this year. I liked everything else that came out, but I had the most fun. I think the most fun and most satisfying experience was Spider-Man: No Way Home. Hmm. Shannon, what was the best musical? of 2021 we had a handful of musicals this year in the heights cinderella which got pushed to amazon prime dear evan hansen annette which had a limited release tick tick boom on netflix and west side story for me it's tick tick boom i think it was a very interesting use of that category and i loved seeing the behind the scenes with that creator we are in sync wonderful tick tick boom yes absolutely not necessarily my favorite musical of the year but it was a very as close to a mind-blowing experience i had at home Mm, mm. watching a movie than any anything else this year tick Mm -hmm. tick boom is a great great uh film yeah i I don't think you picked up your phone like you picked it up to tell our our musical fan friend to go watch it but that was about it you didn't get distracted at all Okay, so Shanna, we only have a couple more categories, as I understand it. Here on this podcast, we like to focus and celebrate occasionally F-rated movies. These are films that are written and or directed by women. Shanna, what was your pick for the best F-rated movie of the year, a year chock full of F-rated films, just from a directorial standpoint, I can't even calculate how many films were written by women. There are so many here. I mean, there's Shadow in the Cloud, Our Friend, Nomadland, Land, Shiva Baby, Mainstream, Plan B, Spirit Untamed, Zola, Black Widow, How It Ends, Respect. And Jeff's like, please, dear God, don't read the rest of the list because we're pressed on time. But it's that's just to name a few. I think for me, it's really hard. It's between Shiva Baby, Zola, and How It Ends. Zoe Lister-Jones is one of my absolute favorites. And Zola was just so unique. And Shiva Baby... I just, I loved 
what I saw in that film, I just thought it was so interesting. I thought it was a great look into like family dynamics and trying to, you know, push through with family events. And I, I loved that. And then Zola was just totally unique in that it came from a Twitter post is where the original thing came from and how they executed it and how they worked together to make it this great film. I mean, I watched it and then I bought it immediately. And then how it ends was just, I think that's going to be one of those really special films where you look back on it and you're like, this is how they made a quiet film of the world ending. But I don't know how she would have done it differently if there had not been a pandemic, but they shot this during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so I think it has this really unique look to it and feel. It's not even a quiet film. It's a quiet pandemic made film, mm-hmm. you know, and I just think that that's so such an interesting way to to look at how a world could end. Like what if it was a peaceful ending, not a looting, shooting up, kill people ending? If you were to tell someone to watch one of those movies that this was the f-rated movie they needed to see of 2021 which would it be that is so hard that's why i have three (laughs) so it would probably need to be i would say how it ends because it's so different to other world ending movies and it's not just about a world ending it's about x like just loving yourself and getting that concept beautifully executed huh okay my pick for best f-rated film is a film that came all out all the way back in january it is chloe zhao's nomadland i'm not surprised (laughs) (laughs) i'm not surprised by your choice when i look at all of the f-rated films that were released this year in theaters nomadland is the clear pick for me as the best of, of all of them. And I rewatched it to refresh my memory a little bit because after so many months, my memory of it was a little fuzzy. And it is just a beautiful film that's so minimalist and well-constructed. And, and Frances McDormand, you can tell, just completely immerse herself in this community of nomads of of people who are in rvs and kind of roam the country and uh, it's just by far chloe zhao's best film and among the best films of 2021 so that's my pick for best f rated movie jenna we're in the final two categories Mm mm-hmm what is your pick for the worst film yes. of 2021? Yes, this was very clear to me. For just a second, it was two, but it became very clear. It's Red Notice. What a waste of talent. What a mm. waste of a story. What a waste of an opportunity. It's all just a waste of resources, really. I love the three people that are starring in it, but honestly, the, the everything else is just shite. And that's the end of it. Good contender for biggest disappointment of the year, that is for sure. If you were looking forward to a film with those three stars, my pick for the worst movie of 2021 is a film that we actually had as a main event review, if I recall, way back in the first quarter of the year. It is the United States versus Billie Holiday. That was somewhat a contender for me, but not the main two. You liked it just a little bit more than me. Just a little more. 
I thought that thing was, hmm, I almost said garbage. Not quite that bad. It, it was, it, look, it was an extraordinary performance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that had been buried under a pile of shit. Mm. It is such a awful biopic by far in a year of Tom and Jerry's and army of the deads. Yeah. This was the worst film. I would even go through watching passing again (laughs) before I would rewatch the United States versus Billie Holiday. And I feel so much sympathy for Andra Day. I Mm. I believe her name is. I hope she gets to shine in a script worthy of her talents someday. This was not it. Agreed. (laughs) Jenna, enough of the negativity. Let's bring it on home with a bit of positivity. What is your pick for the best film of 2021? It's The Lost Duel. Whoa! (laughs) Really? Ridley Scott's The Last Duel? I mean, I'm not picking it because of Ridley Scott. I'm picking it because... I mean, I guess I am, but... One second. Definitely a contender for the best overlooked movie of the year. Mm. To me, it was just edged out by Belfast. Why is this the best film of 2021? You know, we reviewed this... So people can go back and check out more info about it there. Mm-hmm. But so much was being said with so little action. This is this is like, you know how passing is super subtle? Uh-huh. Last Duel is super subtle, but with good acting. And, yes. and phenomenal performance by Jodie Comer. I swear if she doesn't get nominated... I, I'm going to be really pissed for, for Oscars is what I'm talking about. A fine performance by her. Adam Driver, Matt Damon, excellent. A lovely, you know, story format of three perspectives and getting, you know, when we're living in a world where it's me, 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 and my interpretation, my expression, my, mine, mine, watching this film is, is really wonderful and how women are depicted in this film and how they all are, whether they're supporting actor actresses or just there for one scene is all phenomenal. How they work succinctly to get the message across about how women are treated and how women are treated and controlled over the last centuries. I think that is a fantastic pick. It is a nice surprising pick, Hmm. very refreshing pick. I'm not seeing enough praise for The Last Duel. I do think not enough people saw that. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't expect to appreciate that film as much as I did mm. going into it. So it was, in a way, a surprise of 2021 for me. However, no film in the past three, four months, or let alone the rest of the year, surpassed a film that came out in February of 2021 officially in theaters and i checked this with box office mojo and imdb february 9th i believe 2021 we saw the release of one lee isaac chun film minari i think that's a great pick 
Beautiful film. Do not let the Oscars of last year fool you. It is a 2021 movie, not a 2020 film. And it is one of the most beautiful films of the year. Everybody who have performed in this film were fantastic as a moving and touching story of immigrants and the struggles within this family of immigrants and the pursuit of an American dream. No film this year came close. Well, one came close, but no other film really was in reach of Minari. I would say No Man Land's up there as well as my pick of best F-rated movie. But that is my pick for the best film of 2021. But what are your picks for each of these categories? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That is our review of 2021. And now it's time to celebrate with our picks of our favorite films of 2021. Film Faves is the part of the program where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this case, of course, it is the year 2021, as mentioned before. We do this partially to give you an idea of our taste in movies, but also hopefully to expose you to movies you might not have heard of before or haven't heard much about or haven't seen and so to that end what we do is when there is a movie available on a streaming service we will point you in the direction of that streaming service now there's a bajillion streaming services out there but we only focus on like five or six so we include amazon prime netflix hulu disney plus apple tv plus and hbo max not all every movie is available on those services. Actually, it's criminal how many movies are not available on those services alone. So, but, uh, you know, most you can rent on Amazon. Some are, in this case, some are still in theaters. But uh, when, as I mentioned, they are on those services, we'll let you know. Uh, so, 2021. That is the topic today, of course. Jenna? Did you have what sort of challenges or experiences did you have in crafting your list for your 12 favorite movies of the year? My challenge came in with remembering what came out this year. And when I was going through my flick chart, which is the easiest way to rank and determine what my favorites are, it was difficult because all of a sudden you said to me, well, Minari, did you remember Minari? And I was like, oh, it's not there. So I ran right. into that a couple times, like with Promising Young Woman and Shadow in the Cloud. Right. And, so Promising and Young others. Woman is from 2020. But the problem is Flickchart goes by festivals mm -hmm. rather than theatrical release dates. So, yeah, that is a challenge. I think I had forgotten about Zola, Shiva Baby. Minari, Shadow in the Cloud. Those were the ones you pointed out that had weird dates. You know, you're reminding me, and I told you, in prep for this episode, I always forget to mention this. There are movies that we haven't seen yet this year. Mm. And I meant to mention that at the top of the last segment. So take everything we've said so far this episode with a grain of salt because we have not seen yet movies like lamb last night in soho nightmare alley 
was it the good daughter i think by on netflix that just dropped mm. on the day that we're recording new year's eve yeah we um, haven't seen that yet the macbeth one yeah the tra- uh the tragedy of macbeth has only been in limited release and not anywhere near us so we haven't seen that is there any other major omissions or glaring omissions that you can think of that we haven't caught up with not at this time. I think uh, the only other one, it's a minor one. What's that one about the citizenship? Blue Bayou. Yeah, that was a bit of a, an upset that we didn't get to go to that one. And Respect, the biopic about Aretha Franklin. Those are kind of the major ones that we haven't seen, I would say. And, of course, for some people, things like Candyman and, and the Book of Saw, we didn't see uh, not really our jam. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say that name again, though. Uh, Don't so. do it. <laughs> so anyway, so take everything that we've said in the past of this episode with a grain of salt and also know that if these are movies that you think we should check out based on what you know of our taste, let us know. Maybe maybe we're missing something here that could have made our favorites list. I don't know. But uh, this is where we're at. So uh, that, is, that is interesting that you had that challenge. My challenge for this list was I had 18 favorites. I needed to cut down to only 12. So I had too many favorites. That's mm-hmm. why I was saying this is such a good year in film. You know, I don't even know if an animated picture made my list this year. And there was... A few good ones, like the one was it versus the machines, the family. The Mitchells versus the machines. Yeah, uh, Encanto. Luca. Well, Luca was a streaming only Luca one. Luca would have been theatrically released if there was no pandemic. No, Let's get real. Well, you know that's debatable, but apparently Disney thought that it wasn't worthwhile enough, and that caused an uproar with Pixar employees. So they didn't even put it on premium. On Disney Plus. So that's a whole other I'm going to sit chat and pout. Yeah, as you should, along, right along with the Pixar employees. So anyway, there's a lot to choose from this year. That was my challenge. Anything else you want to say about crafting this list? It might look a little like all over the place, but it was difficult. It was difficult to figure out which ones I wanted to keep, which ones I wanted to add. Because mm. mostly there were 25 movies that I really, really loved. So we'll yeah, see what happens. Really? As far as streamers, despite its day and date thing, you know, first of all, half of my list is available to stream. Oh, that's Some nice. are still in theaters. Half are available to stream. And I would say a half to a majority of those are on HBO Max. And I would say, despite its day and date shtick this year, HBO Max has really been the keen in terms of content this year. Mm. Because stuff that they released in theaters did eventually come to the stream later and is now available to stream. So you will hear HBO Max a few times. I found that a lot of my stuff is available to rent on Apple. So if you were wondering if you should get an Apple TV, I highly recommend it. I think it's worth it. If this is what pushes you over to get it, then go for it. Uh, I think the system is just fine. It's a little bit of getting used to, but there's nothing really wrong with it. And if you have an Apple phone, when your significant other is typing in the search bar what they want, (laughs) you can fuck with them 
because you can connect with your phone and type all sorts of different things. Right. So I think it's worth it. Also, there's apps that I couldn't get on a Fire Stick mm. that I can on the Apple TV. So Very good. All right. So enough preamble. Shall we get right on into it? Let's do it. All right. What is your 12th favorite 2021 movie? My number 12 is The Last Duel. So I've just spoken about this film, but just as a quick refresher, there's a reason that I love this film, and it's really because of Jodie Comer. There could not have been a better casting of that character. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. I am totally in love with her and her micro expressions and micro acting. It's just, it's so beautiful this is a film that has three perspectives of a particular event and eventually leads to this is one of the lot this is the last what what do you call it um the last duel it is the last night duel where you know it's got the sticks and the the horses jousting the the jousting Jousting. thank you so uh, i highly recommend this one it it says i've spoken about it i'm just going to keep repeating myself so i'm just going to stop try and stop talking and what is your number 12 you know i feel like a few movies could have popped into my 10 through 12 slots i'm going to put that out there but what did make my number 12 what i ended up putting in my number 12 is a movie i feel like i need a refresher on but i feel like was very positive in terms of a theatrical experience even though it's only part of one and that is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I recall this, and we I, I should probably have re-listened to our review from a couple episodes back to refresh my memory, but I recall this being a amazing theatrical experience, one that I'm glad that I did not miss out on. I'm glad I did not wait for a 40-inch screen to experience. Mm. And it is just... It's the beginning, it's the table setting of a much larger picture. It is the fellowship of the ring, so to speak, of sci-fi. And uh, I look forward to seeing the rest of this story unfold, this interpretation of this story. It's clear that Denis Villeneuve is taking his time and making it making sure the story is told correctly and not rushed. And I appreciate that without, I don't think it seems like he's not embellishing or adding extra stuff. He's not Peter Jackson, Jacksoning this. So uh, Dune is my 12th favorite film of the year. My number 11 is available on Netflix. It is the harder they fall. The only like maybe the top three westerns that i'll allow into my life uh this is about when an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison he reunites his gang to seek revenge in this western uh we've got jonathan majors from last black man in san francisco zazie beats eddie gategi regina king lakeith stanfield edris alba Delroy Lindo. I mean, that's just a few to mention. Like, everybody in this movie is just amazing. Uh, The cinematography is great. There's a couple of fun little tongue-in-cheek things happening. There's the famous, you know, train carriage that pays homage to Chadwick Boseman. So go check this out. It's totally worth your time. The Harder They Fall is available on Netflix. Excellent. 
My 11th favorite is my first that's available to stream. It is Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. One that we were looking forward to. Shanna's a big MK fan herself. I'm a fan of the 95 film. And I, I was hoping for something grittier and, and cooler. And I think I got that. Sub-Zero is pretty freaking awesome. Uh, there's a, a few characters that are pretty uh, freaking awesome in this movie. Uh, the deaths are quite gross occasionally. <laughs> As one might expect as a fan of the video game. And yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I, this was the first, I think this was the first movie I saw in theaters this year that was a genuine good time mm-hmm. that I had a lot of fun with. So it's my 11th favorite film of the year, Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. My next one is available to rent from Apple TV. It is Nobody, a docile man family man slowly reveals his true character after his house gets burgled by two petty thieves something is stolen from his daughter and he is done he didn't care about any of the other stuff he just cared about his daughter's feelings and that was fantastic and very hot what a turn on this leads to a war with a russian crime boss lots of fun this is starring the man from better call Saul, bob odenkirk mm-hmm yeah, and then we've got Connie Nielsen. Christopher Lloyd is in this. I always forget that he's in this, and he's just amazing. And then Raza, Billy McKellen, uh, and a bunch of other wonderful people. I just, I, I love this film. It is so action-packed. There are things happening in this film where I'm like, oh, my God! And it's not often that I get like that. And I just, I love a good revenge film, and I thought this was wonderful. Almost made my list. Mm. Nobody was actually one of the biggest surprises of the year for me as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just straight up fun action film. Did not expect that. Very cool. My 10th favorite film of the year. And this is when we're getting into Can't Take My Eyes Away from the Screen. A Quiet Place Part 2. Recently rewatched that film to refresh my memory. And yeah, that is an absolute favorite of mine. I remember being very, very high on it when it came out. Very interested in some of the themes and the things that it's doing. And a slightly underrated movie. I, I, I actually saw a lot of people kind of indicate that it was a lesser film than the previous movie. And I thought what was great was how it built upon the previous film justified itself by doing everything that was opposite of what the first film did opening up the world separating the characters all sorts of things and millicent simmons is a badass in that movie Mm -hmm. so love a quiet place part two it's my 10th favorite film of the year my number nine is available on hbo and it is Mortal Kombat, because oh. why the hell not? It is, I mean, this film really delivered. This was, this is an IP that's already had a movie, and it, the movie was okay. I loved this. We had done a lot of prep for this movie. We watched the the show, which is like, what was it? Oh, 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 you're talking about the webisode. Yeah, yes. the webisode. Uh, Mortal Kombat Legacy, yes. What was that, like a total of four hours? No, 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 it was like two and a half hours. Oh, okay. 
I mean, we got pretty hardcore about it. <laughs> and it was very exciting to see something done well like mm. this. There's a lot of pressure on this. I mean, it's not Star Wars level pressure. Yeah. Right. Not Star Wars level pressure, but it, there's still pressure there. So, yeah, that's Mortal Kombat on HBO. Very cool. My ninth favorite movie of the year is on Disney+. Plus. It is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now, I was kind of interested, like, how do I feel about Shang-Chi versus Black Widow? And I remember I was positive on both of those films, largely, but I think I thought I felt like Shang-Chi was more fun. I had more fun with Shang-Chi. There were some jaw-dropping moments in it. There was a lot more laughs, as I recall, and, you know, it had a couple flaws to it, but it was overall very cool, and it's introduced a character I really didn't know anything about. I mean, I collected comics in the early to mid-'90s, and then again in the aughts, and Shang-Chi never came up in anything I ever read or anything I ever studied. And so I think he's only recently had a resurgence in popularity. And so to me, it was like a, a whole like blank slate. And that was filled quite greatly. And I'm looking forward to more from him. As we saw what happened at the end of that film, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens from there in hopefully in the next year. So that's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings on Disney Plus as my ninth favorite movie of the year. My number eight is How It Ends, uh, directed by Zoe Lister-Jones and starring Zoe Lister-Jones along with Kaylee Spaney, who plays her younger self in uh, this awesome post-apocalyptic hope this is how our world ends if it should end movie uh it's very fun they're trying to get to their last party before the earth ends it's got finn wolfhard nick crawl bobby lee fred armison i love when he's in movies with zoe lister jones i think that's awesome bradley whitford is in there i don't know if you remember that and then olivia mm -hmm. wilde as, as well as a bunch of other people that yeah. are awesome like helen hunt is even in there and of course whenever there's a zoe lister jones thing there's always colin hanks somewhere yeah. in there even if it's just for a few seconds i love this film you can take away the apocalyptic thing and you can still see it as a movie of coming to peace with your younger self and your younger self coming to peace with your old, older self. So I, I love it. Zoe Lister-Jones is awesome. I can't wait to see what she does next. My eighth favorite film of the year is Free Guy. Hey, that's my number seven. Oh, very cool. Available to rent from Apple. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention everything that's available to rent everywhere, but... I feel like this is a special episode, though, so that's what I'm doing. I see. Fun movie, big surprise of the year, a good contender also for one of the biggest surprises of the year because I didn't expect it to be as smart as it is. This thing actually has something on its mind that it's trying to say. The Matrix 4 could have taken a note from Free Guy. <laughs> and it's much more fun. Obviously, stylistically, two different movies. But this is actually fun film, and I, I had a blast with it, and... Jodie Comer is also in this one. I mean, another reason for me to love this film. This was actually my first exposure to Jodie Comer. She's amazing, isn't she? She's quite phenomenal. She this isn't like her best film, but 
She was pretty good. She was pretty good. If she was ever at Comic-Con, I'd want to go because you can tell, like, I'm just so excited by her. Apparently. <laughs> she isn't the reason why I was coming to see the film. I thought that this concept of this NPC becoming aware and wanting to be more than he is and the actions surrounding him and what he gets caught up in was a lot, was interesting and, and, and it's executed very well. What were your thoughts on Free Guy? I love this film. I thought the cast was awesome. I thought the ideas they had was great. I, Like you said, it's very clever and it's a lot of fun. And it's also trying to drive a, a certain message home as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. And I really do think like Matrix 4 could have taken notes from them. It doesn't ha- Matrix 4 doesn't have to be happy, but it could take execution. Like, this is how you execute ideas that go there. <laughs> this, you know? Number seven for me is No Time to Die, the oh, long-awaited James Bond film. I remember thinking this is just awesome and great and quite an achievement. And, I, you know, I was worried whether or not the... The Daniel Craig films were going to complete the pattern of every other film being awesome, and it did. Thankfully, this was this was no Quantum of Solace. This was no Spectre. This was even better than both of those, and it was on the level of Skyfall and Casino Royale. It definitely warrants a rewatch for me to be able to really weigh where it ranks among those other two films. But I, I really dug this film and really dug this as the final chapter for Daniel Craig. And I really hope they build upon what happens here rather than hitting the reset button. So we'll see what happens. But No Time to Die is definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. Shanna, what is your sixth favorite? We're at the halfway mark. What's your sixth favorite movie of the year? My number six is available to stream on Netflix. It is The Mitchells versus the Machines. This mm. is about a family who finds themselves, you know, they're on a road trip to take the daughter to college and they find themselves in the middle of a robot apocalypse. Mm. So it's kind of, I was going to say it's kind of Terminator-esque. <laughs> It's not that crazy. No. Anyway, I thought this was really great because it's it's not just about an apocalypse. Like, oh, that's kind of fun. I got two apocalypse films on here. It's really great because it has so much heart and it goes on this journey with this, you know, our teenage character and then the father and how the two of them are so different, but they're the same because that's often what happens, right? Mm. And how they heal their relationship. And it's so wonderful and sweet and completely relatable. And the mom is totally kick-ass. That was, I guess, a trend that I noticed this year too is all the moms. Uh, There's a lot of moms in these movies or motherly figures in Mm. these movies this year Mm. that are really badass bitches. And Mm. I just think that's very exciting. Very cool. One of the best animated movies of the year, for sure. My sixth favorite film is also on Netflix. Is The Harder They Fall, one of your favorite movies of the year. I mean, we talked about it in the past episode. You talked about it earlier in this episode. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot I could add to it, but except I will say it almost made my pick for best overlooked movie of the year because I 
think it might have gotten lost in the shuffle of everything that was coming out at the end of the year here. I'm not hearing enough people talk about this movie. They need to check this out. The harder they fall, I promise it is a fun film. You will have a good time. And if someone like Shanna, who hates Westerns, can watch it and, and love it, you will too. And honestly, I think part of that is because you're a fan of Quentin Tarantino. Not that this movie's by Quentin Tarantino, but it definitely has some shades of Tarantino in it, especially in the first uh, third of the film. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of him, but I, f- I, I know this is somewhat Tarantino blasphemous, but I really like this more. Mm. If I compare... Django and Inglorious Bastards. Like, if I compare wow, those to this, I really like how they use this. I'm not saying that this is my top 12 of my life, uh-huh, but uh-huh. I really like it if I compare the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Very good. So, that's uh, The Harder They Fall, my sixth favorite film of the year available on Netflix. My number five is in the theater, and we are going to go watch it a second time tomorrow with our son, Spider-Man No Way from No Way Home. I swear if the next Spider-Man movie has something to do with getting further away from home, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> okay, It's enough now. So other than a title irritation, I love this film so much. There are spoilers everywhere just go see the damn thing uh my parents asked if they should go see it they were looking to have a good time and i i didn't even skip a beat i said just go watch it it doesn't matter that you haven't seen anything i don't care just you know they 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 know who spider-man is but i don't think they're caught up with the latest spider-man stuff those are probably the most important yeah yeah so i really love this film and i won't say anything else my fifth favorite film of the year is also on netflix it is tick tick boom that was that was quite dramatic thank you mm. i loved this musical i rewatched the first half hour in prep for this episode and i was absolutely just caught up the songs are fantastic you know, Andrew Garfield is amazing in this. I it just there's so much that this movie does, and I appreciate it. And what my mind was blown, it was one of the best experiences I had this year watching films. I only wish I was able to experience it in the theaters, as this film was. Um, I think it was it had a limited release, which was. Not anything that I had access to, but uh, I wish I did because uh, it was a wonderful experience. Tick, tick, boom on Netflix. My fifth favorite of the year. My number four is Minari. That's it's... only number four for you. It was your favorite <sighs> A24 film and it's number four. Well, I mean, I hope I made the right decision here. You saying that to me makes me think it should be number three, but we'll just go with it. <laughs> I, I, you know, we were, I'm pretty sure we reviewed this film and it yeah, was one of the, early it, was, in the year. Yeah. it was the first film we saw in the theater going back and uh, we rewatched it last night with our son and it was, it's just such an amazing film. It is so beautiful. It is so rooted in family 
workings and there's something for everyone in this film there's relationships between husband and you know between spouses there's entrepreneurship there's being a a kid in this particular time of America it's just there's so much in here to unpack and love about this freaking film I think people need to go watch it definitely if they haven't already you almost made my list very narrowly made my list i almost like it was like dune or what like i said the 10 Mm. through 12 slots could have been a few films minari was definitely one of them my fourth favorite movie of the year was ghostbusters afterlife Mm. this movie almost did everything perfectly there was a, a little bit of fan service that it could have reeled in But the new characters, the bridging to the ghost to Ghostbusters, to Ghostbusters, 1984's Ghostbusters in particular. I've heard Jason Reitman say that Ghostbusters 2 has not been retconned, that there is little things in the background that you will see that references Ghostbusters 2. But like you would be forgiven for thinking that this thing basically ignores that movie. And I, I would actually say that's probably better for it, honestly. At any rate, one hell of a fun time if you're a ghost head at all. If you grew up with Ghostbusters, this is the one. This is the Force Awakens of Ghostbusters. It will satisfy the hell out of you. And it is one of my favorite movies of the year. Number four for me. Ghostbusters Afterlife. My number three is available on Apple TV for renting, and I think you should totally check it out if you can't see it in a cinema. It is Belfast. I love this film. It's such a great, again, about family. And I love how we're looking at the grandparents' relationship, the mother and father, then the two sons, and how they're all interconnected. It's beautiful. I mean, I think if we ever came up with a list with, like, 12 greatest TV uh, movie grandparents like this would make my list because mm. they're just such a wonderful pairing I am forgetting it's Judy Dench and do you remember the grandpa uh, Kieran Hines yeah just such great casting I mean everyone cast was amazing and it's shot in black and white it's perfect it yeah I mean I've already spoken about it in this episode and probably the previous episode so I just I I loved it and I can't wait to buy it very cool. That's that's a nice surprise. I'm very, yeah, I didn't expect that. Very cool. My third favorite is on HBO Max, and I wanted to get a refresher on it, but I feel like this is probably accurate. It is one of the first movies of the year. This is my number two. That I knew was going to be a favorite of the year for me. It is... Suicide Squad. In the Heights. Oh. Is it for real? <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. I was going to throw you off and make something up, but you spoke first, so <laughs> and you did the job for me. No, it Damn is it. In the Heights. <laughs> oh, I already thought that was going to make your list. I loved In the Heights. I had a, a great time with In the Heights. I think her name is Melissa Barrera was kind of a, a major discovery for me this year. I really hope to see more from her aside from Scream. I'm not going to watch Scream. I know she's a star of Scream. Not going to see it. But I would love to see more from her otherwise. And 
you know, I, it, was, it was a beautiful cast, great performances uh, in terms of musical performances. The songs were fantastic. The, the way they're executed and choreographed is wonderful. The pool scene, what was that called? 96,000? 96,000, yes. I had a number in my head, but I couldn't quite get it right. 96,000 was amazing, and so many others. So, uh, yeah, I loved In the Heights. Great time. And so it's my third favorite film of the year on HBO Max. So, Shanna, you were saying <laughs> Suicide Squad is your second favorite? Oh, I'm such an idiot. Anyway, is, is it your second favorite? It is my second okay. favorite movie of the so year. So I was just one off. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I love this film. Uh, do you want to explain well, it? You do such a good job. Well, uh, it's James Gunn doing whatever he wanted to do with a DC set of characters and he he decided to do his version of the suicide squad see this is what you get if you let creatives do what they want to do you get amazing work except when it comes to certain people to to two people in particular (laughs) (laughs) one of them did a suicide squad movie but anyway go ahead david ayer i'm talking about david ayer (laughs) anyway I, I love this film. It's so much fun. We reviewed this film, so go check that out. I love Harley's scenes. I I love King Shark. I it just it's all so manically balanced fun. Um, it's bizarre. The soundtrack is fun, and I love the story. I thought the story was really great. Well, I can't believe that this thing did not make the top 10 highest grossing movies of the year because the first movie, which was the worst movie, definitely did. And I think this is, you know, this must be an example of the day and day HBO Max thing really cutting in to the profits because it was 23 of the year. No, I think I think it could have gone into at least top 10 if they didn't do that. If anything, maybe 13. It made $55.8 million. Uh-uh. 55.8. The number 10 movie made $121.6 million. That's yeah. a huge difference. And that's a damn shame because this thing was miles better than the previous Suicide Squad movie. Most Better than most DC movies of late. So much fun. And it has some great surprises. Unfortunately, the trailer surpri- uh, spoils one of those surprises. Great cast. It's just, it's so fun. It's fun. It actually lives up to its name, too. People die in this film. So <laughs> it's a blast. And, of course, Margot Robbie adds to a lot of the fun. John Santa as the peacemaker adds a lot to the fun. And, of Ed- course, Idris Elba. Idris Elba. He's more like the straight That's guy great. reacting to everyone. But King Shark. <laughs> Voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Oh, is he very is my favorite. Cool. He's my too. favorite. So that's our second favorite film of the year. Shanna, I bet we're not going to be exactly in sync for our favorite film of the year. No. But would you be willing to share with us what your favorite movie of 2021 is? I thought we were going to guess each other's. I mean, I know mine's obvious, but. Is yours Ghostbusters Afterlife? Of course it's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Okay. (laughs) All right. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. This is still in the theaters, and 
it's this amazing sequel that we got to have and cherish. And I love the 2016 Ghostbusters, but I also love this one too. And I think what they do here is really magical. They turn it from something that's just a comedy with some sexist jokes into something that's more rooted and connected to family and relationships and the beauty of having a team, whether it's just a friend or someone who has the same interest as you. And it's just, it's really, it's a beautiful film. I love the cast. I love the story that they came up with. Uh, we are going to go watch it again tomorrow. And I am so excited. I will say, I just looked at Box Office Mojo and apparently recently Ghostbusters Afterlife has surpassed Free Guy by $400,000 and is now the ninth highest grossing yeah. movie of the year <laughs> that's exciting do you want to guess what my favorite movie of the year is yes one moment. i'll give you a hint it's not jungle cruise and it's not cruella <laughs> and it's not army of the dead good god no <laughs> i actually didn't see the other two movies well you haven't mentioned spider-man yet that's because it is my favorite movie of the year woohoo <laughs> <laughs> and I can't again like we got to record like a bonus episode or something because like I can't get into a lot of the reasons nope. why you can't really say anything my favorite movie of the year but if, if you're familiar with the show you won't be terribly surprised because I'm a, I'm a big Marvel fan you know I'm part of the merry marching Marvel society that's a that's an old callback there uh, a lot of people <laughs> refer to themselves as Marvel zombies these days. I'm a big fan, and this is, I think, the best of the MCU movies, as I mentioned before. But not just that, it's also like the best experience, the most fun I had of the Marvel films this year. And it just makes me so excited about what's coming next. Mm. I, I really can't wait. That I, I can't believe I have to wait five or six months for what's happening next you know well if you think back in the day you'd have to wait a year or a year and a half well not with the not with the mcu movies it was like normally six every six months um okay. to eight months you know so you know we're, we're kicking it 2015 style here or something you know <laughs> so at any rate i love spider-man no way home for a lot of reasons that i can't get into we wouldn't anyway because we never give spoilers in this segment. But there you have it. Jenna, was this like your definite 12 or were there a couple that you had that, that fell off your list as you were arranging it? Yeah, if I had enough time to rewatch maybe my top 20, I would definitely probably have a somewhat different list. Ghostbusters is always going to be at the top, though and Suicide Squad and a couple others. But things that fell off were Black Widow in the Heights. Black Widow surprises me. Mm. I really, really thought that was going to be on your list. Coda, Dune, Barb and Star of Go to Vista Del Mar. I thought Barb and Star was going to be in your like top three. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that's not on your list. Again, if I had a chance to rewatch everything, I think the list would have been slightly different. Together Together... Uh, French Dispatch. I was I I like Raya and the Lost Dragon, but it's it's not like an extreme favorite. Oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, Lu- one of the best animated movies of the year too. Yeah, Luca. Streaming only. Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just looking at all the others. I'm not, I'm looking at my flick chart and I'm not exactly sure if Spencer is in the right spot here. Godzilla versus Khan was entertaining for sure. Well, Sp- uh, would Spencer? I don't know where it would fall. Yeah. Well, if you look at my flick chart, it's a little all over the place and I haven't added Tatan to it yet, but you know, it wasn't going to make my top 12 Tatan, but definitely top 15. So I mentioned already Minari and Nobody were almost on my list. Black Widow was a, a favorite I considered. Barb and Star was also a favorite I considered. And Together Together was deep in the in the back of mm. favorites. I enjoyed and appreciated that movie. I think that's one that we enjoyed and appreciated more than yeah. most. Yeah, a little overlooked. And And I think that's about it in terms of like genuine favorites uh for me so those are our favorite films of 2021 what are your favorite movies of 2021 email us at the gibson review at gmail.com and that does it for our look back and celebration of the year that was shanna before we talk about the next episode look forward from here Share with everyone where they can find you online. You can find me at Flickchart under Spellbinding A and on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography with underscores between those three words. Excellent. Go to thegibsonreview.com, the main blog. You will find features, reviews, episodes of The Movie Lovers, and a whole lot more on there. You can follow on Facebook.com slash thegibsonreview or Instagram the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there and we finally, finally finished our journey to discover what your favorite film scores are, including your favorite film score of all time. Your favorite 2010s film score was Inception by Hans Zimmer and your favorite film score of all time was The Lord of the Rings by Howard Shore. You can go there to find out what made Instagram's favorite 10 scores of all time and interact with future posts and polls. Soon we'll be looking at your favorite movies of 2021 on there. So don't miss out. You can also find me on Flickchart with a far less updated chart than Shanna's. That's the Gibson 99. So Shanna, we are looking forward now, not backward. With our next episode of The Movie Lovers, it will be our 22 preview. We will be looking at what movies we are looking forward to most in the year 2022. And I'm not sure if we'll have a film faves segment for that. That is pending, if at all. But you can look forward to that episode, I think, on Tuesday... January 18th, if I'm not mistaken. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye, and Happy New Year! Happy New Year!